0: Hey there, I'm Adam Rissman and welcome to Inside Intercom. Whether you're at an early stage startup that's just beginning to lean into sales or maybe part of a fast moving sales team in a larger organization, the key to your success often comes down to one thing efficiency. How can you capture, qualify, and convert leads as quickly as possible at as high of a success rate as possible? So be it through making improvements to process, ramping up revenue, or just simply hiring better salespeople, Our guest in this episode has spent the bulk of his career seeking out these efficiencies in sales, or as he calls them, hacks, and sharing them with the wider SaaS and sales community. That's Sales Hacker CEO, Max Altshuler. Sales Hacker, if you're not familiar, is a global conference, it's an event series, and it's an online publication, all of which bring together sales execs and emerging startup founders to share their lessons and experiences in things like sales automation and tech sales. Max is also the author of two books, Hacking Sales, and more recently, Career Hacking for Millennials. So
1: how and why exactly should someone hack sales? If you're an early stage company, you're not just building a sales team. You need to build an efficient sales team. You need to maximize everything you possibly can to beat the competition because you don't have, you can't just throw money at things. You can't just throw headcount at things. Uh, You have to be really efficient about everything you do and, and process driven. Going back a bit, Max
0: was actually the very first sales hire at the online education marketplace, Udemy. In our chat,
1: he breaks down where he was able to find his earliest sales wins there. It was really about figuring out and testing religiously our ideal customer profile, what category would pick up the fastest and who were like the early adopters out there. In addition to all of
0: that, we were also able to cover where Max sees the many sales teams that he's advising on a regular basis struggling the most.
1: That's the hardest part: is that like the hiring process for a product founder that one doesn't know how to hire for sales or doesn't know much about sales to begin with, and two, wants to hire people who have like relevant experience or relevant rolodexes, but those people are all at bigger companies who don't know how to sell at a startup. If you enjoy my chat with Max, you can find all 100 plus
0: Inside Intercom conversations to date on iTunes, Spotify. Google's newest podcast app, you name it. Just subscribe or give us a follow at any of those places and you'll be the very first to know when new episodes are available every Thursday. And Without further ado, let's hop into my interview with sales hackers, Max Altshuler.
1: You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com.
0: Max, welcome to Inside Intercom. It's great to have you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: No, no problem. With a uh, between Sales Hacker, your writing, your other startups, and the companies that you advise, I know you're a busy guy, so we really appreciate you taking the time. Of course, anytime. So, just to get us started, I mean, can you give us a quick feel, maybe the cliff notes of your career to date, and break down the mission for you and your team at Sales Hacker?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, was always an entrepreneur my entire life. You know, started a bike share program at Arizona State University. Uh, won a grant for that, got exclusive rights to commercial bike sharing um, at Arizona State University, signed off on university like RACS uh, signed off on, but couldn't raise the money for the startup in, this was 2009, right after a recession. So I was still in college at the time, graduated college, wanted to make American money while living abroad, took that kind of entrepreneurial spirit down to Costa Rica and Nicaragua and ran a social media company from there. Was a lot of fun, but realized we were a little too ambitious for what we were doing. So came back and really wanted to, to get into startups and figure out, you know, kind of see how the sausage was made before, you know, starting something on my own again. So I ended up getting a job at a company called Udemy, which had just raised a seed round of funding and was an online education marketplace, democratizing education. I thought, OK, that could be a big business. Um, they needed a sales guy. I knew I was pretty good at that. So I jumped in there, got the job and built out the supply side of their marketplace, took them through their seed a and B rounds of funding, They're uh, you know, multi-billion dollar company at this point. And while I was there started like really hacking the sales process, you know, so we were one of the first companies to kind of start leveraging all these new sales technologies that are out there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a sales development team that we were building in, you know, in the Philippines and you kind of, you kind of got to do more with less when you're an early stage company. like Absolutely. That. So. We found a way to do it, and that started Sales Hacker. I actually went from Udemy to a company called Attorney Fee, where I ran both sides of the marketplace. We sold them to LegalZoom, and and while I was at Udemy and while I was at Attorney Fee, people kept coming to me and asking, you know, how we were growing so fast and what were some of the things that we were doing. I was sharing them on my my blog at the time. I think was like I think it was called like Max Talks Hacks back then. And so we started a meetup. Meetup led to a conference. Conference led to Sales Hacker, the publication, which now is you know uh, actually we end up doing Sales Hacker meetups in 32 cities globally. We end up doing uh, massive conferences. We ended up helping uh, Jason Lemkin start the SASTer annual. Yep. Um, you know we we have webinars, uh, we have virtual events, we do ebooks, we do everything now. So uh, we've kind of evolved to the leading resource for B two B salespeople that are trying to figure out how to you know innovate, evolve, and and modernize their sales processes and I've learned a ton in growing this business, both about sales, about marketing now, uh, about mm. how to run a company, and uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. I've gotten to work with uh, a lot of really amazing people, really brilliant people who uh, I've learned by kind of osmosis from, and then uh, we've been able to help a lot of people, I think, um, make more money in sales, which is a profession I, I care a lot about.
0: Yeah, I mean, given, given that it's the foundation of, of sales hacker content and community, how important do you see the roles of those in sales? Today? Did you know that this this was something that there was that that craving for? Or did it something that built up more more organically? And as you saw, the value of it started to propagate that more.
1: Yeah, you know, I always looked at it opportunistically. So like as doors opened, you know, we'd kind of see if they were worth walking through. And so when I started the business, there was enough momentum behind it for it to be interesting and i said to myself you know what's the worst that can happen i'll do this for a year i'm making good money off the conferences so i know the the salary's there for me or the you know profits there for me worst case scenario i do this for a year and uh i build an amazing network a reputation and you know make some money and then i go mm-hmm. what start my own sas company or go be a vp of sales you know somewhere at an early stage company so you know i didn't really know what to expect and it kind of just kept building from there. You know, I started this about four and a half years ago, and so many companies have gotten funding in the past four and a half years that more and more and more salespeople are needed, and more and more and more salespeople and more and more companies need salespeople to be efficient. I think that's the key, you know, for startups, and I, you know, I think that's that's really what hacking means to me is is doing more with less. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're an early stage company. You're not just building a sales team. You need to build an efficient sales team. You need to maximize everything you possibly can, you know, to to beat the competition because you don't have, you can't just throw money at things. Mm-hmm. You can't just throw headcount at things. Uh, you have to be really efficient about everything you do and, and process driven. So that was like the impetus for starting the whole thing. And now, you know, it's not just the startups that that need to be uh, efficient with their their capital and their teams. It's it's everyone. So we're we're taking some of the things that. We learned, and 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 people at startups are are kind of hacking together and trying to make that more of a industry wide standard.
0: Well, I, I want to get into some more uh, current events here in a minute, but let's mm-hmm. take a step back and go back to to you. To me, you were the first sales yeah. hire there. It's an online learning platform. You you know the people that you're trying to get your customers are, are taking a big bet where the the results um, you know are ways down the line. Take us back to those early days. I mean, what were some of the most pivotal, tough decisions that that you had to make? And as you look back, that were the, the bets that you would make again?
1: Oh, man. I mean, you know, you had to pick the right categories. So you're building an online education marketplace and you want to build, you know, let's say the Amazon for courses. So yeah, first you have to get people out of their, you know, uh, if you're an expert, on a programming language, let's like, let's call it, you know, Python or JavaScript Mm -hmm. or whatever, you would write books. A publisher would come to you and you write a book and you would sit down at your computer and you'd open up your word doc or you would, you know, maybe if you, if you like to, you would do pen and paper and then get it to the editor. I don't know, but it was simple. There wasn't any heavy lifting. It was very lightweight. So we had to convince people to create courses and the timing was right. Udemy because now you had on your iPhone and in your computer cameras that were good enough for you to record things that like people would watch. Yeah. So it made it really, it made a lot easier for people to create courses, but at the same time, not even close to as easy it was for someone to write a book. So it was still this heavyweight activity. So we had to convince people to create courses for Udemy because like there weren't a lot already out there. And, um, we had to pick the right categories to go after so it was really about figuring out and testing religiously our ideal customer profile what category would pick up the fastest and who were like the early adopters out there and obviously tech was that number one you know place to be mm-hmm. so we started building our course catalog and you know my sales process was going out and finding publishers who already had courses on programming languages and things like that inside of tech that other people in tech would want to learn and then figuring out how to grow from there which was we sat there and we we were building out tech and we were thinking about timing so when do you start figuring out other areas to grow into and once you have that timing down what categories do you open up you know if you if you were successful in tech and you want to build this marketplace do you try and right off the bat go for like yoga courses, guitar courses, art courses, cooking courses, or do you keep it like one chain link away from your current category? So, you know, we would onboard design or photography or things that were close to like the the tech world. So Mm -hmm. we went out, we tested a lot of titles and what we decided was it either had to be one chain link away or it had to be something that was focused for tech people. So if you had a yoga course and it was on posture, and it was like yoga for posture, like it wouldn't sell on our platform. But if we called it like yoga for people who sit at desks all day and stare (laughs) at computer screens, then it would sell to our audience. (laughs) Yeah. So you just had to like figure out the messaging around certain things, figure out the timing, and then figure out how you were going to go about pulling your current audience into the new stuff while also selling to a new audience. And there were a lot of decisions there that were like, you know we made the wrong decisions a couple times. We had a backtrack, or we learned these things on the fly. So we did it wrong for the, you know first few days or weeks, and then eventually we were able to tweak it. There are a lot of tough decisions that we had to make and tough lessons learned in building out our our virtual assistance teams and you know making sure that from a cultural standpoint that people were well trained and and actually understood what they were doing. we had, some issues where we were, we were definitely in that startup mindset of like, don't ask for permission, ask for yep. forgiveness. <laughs> and at that time it, I don't really think that ever flies, but at the time it was a little bit more okay. Now it's like, there's way too many startups out there for that mantra to still exist. Right? Cause you know, people would be running rogue and like GDPR, you know, is one of those things like we yeah. really couldn't do a lot of things we did back then. So you know, there are, there are a lot of things that I don't know decisions we had to make and things that I probably would have to do differently today. But uh, it worked out for us. How did your team approach once you got these people signed
0: up to make these courses? I mean, it's a lot easier to retain those people and, and have them continue to develop courses than to go out and recruit new people. What was your team's involvement in that process and, and how integral was it to your
1: success? Yeah, I mean, that was that was part of sales. So to get people to create a second course, definitely part of sales. I think for our business model, and I think in most business models, that is A hundred percent, it's much better to get somebody, a current customer to really love your product and to, you know, upsell them and expand on them than it is to go get new customers. But for us, it was the time it took for somebody to create a new course after they already created a course was like too long. We were already out there trying to fill pipeline with like new creators. So it was just about dumping as many people into the, into the pipeline as possible. And, um, you know, in sales, it's like, when things are going good, it's all good. But when things are going bad, the 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 best cure is a fat pipeline. So just top mm-hmm. of the funnel, just get them in there, and uh, and then you know you can nurture them down. So for us, it was just how do we go out there and completely you know saturate the market. And one of the things you know the, the ways that we did that again were really you know kind of hacky. We just looked for every marketplace that had content creators and then we searched for strings of keywords using an SEO keyword generator tool. And I had my VA's in the Philippines doing that, running those searches, building lists of the creators. And a lot of times they would have to go down rabbit holes. So, you know, we'd say like, go on slide, share, type in, you know, beginners Python tutorial, see what comes up, then go to their slides. Then, you know, scroll through their slides. Maybe they have their email address on there or their site, or maybe it's in the description, go to their site, get their email address, put it on the spreadsheet, fill in, you know, the other things that we need on the spreadsheet. And then that's like our, you know, our ICP list right. basically. So we had, you know, SlideShare, slide six, YouTube, Vimeo, Google, Bing, you know, every search for content site you could find. And then the keyword generator tool would then go in and we would put in, okay, um, Beginners, videos, tutorials in one box, and then the programming language in the second box. And then the third box would say introduction, advanced, novice, uh, whatever else. And then you, it would basically churn out a spreadsheet for us of all these different strings of keywords that the VAs could go and copy and paste into the search bars on all those different sites. So they didn't have to know perfect English or figure out what these terms were going to be. And I didn't have to sit there and babysit anyone because it was already <laughs> done for them. So no, the entire process was like automated and they would go out, build these lists, and then we would upload them into, you know, tools like ToutApp and, you know, which is now like outreach and sales often these guys and get emails going out and just put everybody on a cadence. And that's like before the cadence software existed, you know, ToutApp didn't have that functionality and these other companies didn't exist back then. So, you know, we had to kind of create this from scratch.
0: The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. That's an interesting challenge. So yeah. let's fast forward to today. Um, you're advising more than, I think, 50 companies right now on on all these types of things. What are the most common challenges for those that are maybe like in the, they've, they've made their first few sales hires, um, they've, they're starting to scale their team, what what are the biggest issues that are top of mind for them where they're struggling? Is it getting their stack right? Is it transitioning from inbound to outbound? Learning how to automation can supplement some of their tasks.
1: Where where are they struggling the most? Yeah, for the most part, it's outbound uh, efficiency. I mean, for like, there's a handful of companies that I advise that it's transactional mm-hmm. order taking, and like, when whenever you can get that, that's fantastic. Great, you know, it's, it's really like the top zero 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 one percent of, you know, startups that just have that, uh, you know, uh, up until like 30 million ARR, it's just transactional, which is fantastic for everyone else. It's, it's the outbound sales process, figuring out, you know, the efficiencies, figuring out how to leverage, you know, your contacts to get referrals, your current customers, how to break into enterprise accounts. I mean, a lot of these companies are, you know, that I advise are selling to mid market and above. Uh, not really a lot of SMB. And that's where my value is. It's in like breaking into bigger deals because the SMB stuff is is more like kind of growth hacking. So it, it's about working that deal cycle. A lot of the advising that I do it actually is on hiring. So, you know, I have my network and I also can help vet some of the hires that these, these product, you know, and technical founders don't really know how to vet. So, you know, it's really getting the right people on board getting them onboarded and set up when they have, you know, no help and then, you know, getting them to work. So for example, you'll have like a, a company that sells CFO software and they want to hire someone with relevant experience. So, you know, what do you do? You hire someone from a, you know, that has a CFO SaaS background. So what do you do? You know, like financial force or Zora or, you know, whatever else. You know, if you're a sales rep at one of those companies and you're going now to a startup, that's a huge jump. I mean, you don't have a sales enablement person anymore. You don't have a sales ops team. you don't have a you know ten million dollars events budget, you know a fifty million dollar demand gem budget or whatever it is. so you're it's a completely different experience now, and you're used to getting fed. and now you have to go out and and you know knock on doors and you don't have a logo behind you. So that's the hardest part is that like the hiring process for a product founder that one doesn't know how to hire for sales or doesn't know much about sales to begin with. And two wants to hire people who have like relevant experience or relevant Rolodexes, but those people are all at bigger companies who don't know how to sell at a startup. You know, so this is like this fundamental issue that's at the, the very beginning of almost all these companies. And a lot of the founders I work with are are product technical founders. Very good but don't understand the other side of that that business. What are some of the softer skills that you feel like show that someone would translate really well from that larger enterprise environment back to a startup sales environment? Yeah, so actually the the sales process, the uh, hiring process, sorry, is, is their sales process. So I like to see how they're going about getting the job, how they're going about having those conversations. How did they get in touch? Did they back channel? What were some of the things that they did to get in touch with the company. What are some of the things that they're doing, you know, to get the job, you know, and, and obviously asking them certain questions around, all right, well, pitch me your, your current product and how are you currently going out and seeking new business? Are you doing outbound? If you're doing outbound, what are the things that you're doing in that outbound process right now? And, you know, I can gauge kind of if they're being coddled at their current company, And Mm -hmm. if it's just like an easy role, or if they actually do have to go out there and hunt and they're not getting fed leads and, and they're not, you know, they don't have all these like shiny, you know, pieces of software and collateral that are, that's helping them out that, you know, earlier stage startups can't afford. But I always think the sales, the the actual hiring process is the best you're ever going to see of the person that you're hiring. And so that's kind of a sales process right there. Mm -hmm. And when I hired, you know, we hired our last salesperson at Sales Hacker, it came down to the final two people. And when I look back at the beginning of their sales process or uh, their hiring process, it's funny that I keep saying sales process, that hiring process, <laughs> because it's the same thing. But uh, when I look back at the beginning, one got in touch with us through a VP that I respect big time. Mm-hmm. And so he actually got the intro from her. And then the other one ended up like finding all of our information and ended up calling the old sales rep, uh, one of the old sales reps. And just asking about the company, asking what the best way he should sell and, you know, how he should go about getting the job, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, wow, you know, those are two really, you know, if I'm going to hire a salesperson, like that's what I want to see. That's what I want them doing for me. So I really liked how they went about doing that. And that, and like, it just, just so happened that they made it to the last two, but you know, that was at the beginning of the process. So that's kind of what I'm looking for, you know, when I'm helping these guys out. And,
0: um, I imagine you learn a lot too from the types of questions they ask in terms of how they might go and qualify the right types of people, which is so important in those early days and that you don't want to be selling to the, to a customer that can't find
1: success right away. Yeah. Yeah. And you also want to, you know, make sure that that they're going to have a good understanding of the product. You also want to make sure that they're, they're passionate about the problem the product is solving. I mean, I think that's like so underrated in a hiring process, but you know, a lot of software is unsexy and, and boring and. salespeople aren't passionate about it they're just just hard for them to do a really good job of selling it and i have some you know product founders who are building you know really unsexy products but in big markets and they're super passionate about it and it's tough because you want them to be able to to get their passion across to the to the person on the other side but you can't scale that you know Mm -hmm. that that doesn't scale outside of the founder so um, you need to hope that you can hire salespeople who really, uh, have a passion for that problem. You know, if you could hire, uh, if you're like, again, financial software product, maybe that person went to school and had a finance degree, came out of school, ended up at like PWC for a year and then realized he wanted to get into sales, mm-hmm. got into sales, started out in like the, you know, finance space, even selling stuff. That person now had, understands the plight or like at least the other side. A little bit more and it maybe has some passion about you know that product so that's like an interesting thought process there I think um, what I like about sales Hacker is you know I, I we help salespeople so like when I hire sales people they are sale you know they're they're like they are our audience yeah so that makes it easy. yeah exactly so it makes it a little easier for us because I know that they understand our audience
0: yeah that's great and I mean if, if obviously if you have a keen understanding of the problem then you have an even better understanding of, of who your software can actually help. Sort of related to this, I, one sort of old school skill that you've mentioned that you find is still very valuable for salespeople is is cold calling. And I think that's you know, the fact that it, ma- it makes you uncomfortable and puts you out there a little bit. And for a lot of the people that, that we're talking about that are, are stepping into these size companies, they might do some of that, but they're also having to do things like outbound email or having inbound conversations inside of a messenger where they're trying to qualify leads that way. How do you feel like those skills translate to a lot of the new... Technology that's there to
1: supplement the sales process. Well, what I love about cold calling is like if you can do that Then you can do anything like that's absolutely the hardest thing to do in terms of reaching a customer in sales So if you can do that if you're good at that, then you should be good at pretty much everything else um, so if you can start there if you can you know hone that skill then everything else will come easy after that and um you know, I think we are, we're getting into a more conversational world. So like, I'm not sure that cold calling, you know, will exist for, I don't know, another decade, right? Because you're, you're just starting to see us get into a a more text heavy communications world, or at least like an, a, I don't know, maybe less like reactive space. Also, like we, when we want something, we go out and and do it. Mm -hmm. And then we're on to like the next thing. So, you know, you see uh, with products like like intercom, you know, somebody will come to the site and they want information and they want information now. And then they have their they have that 15 minutes to get that information that like, you know, that they're on your site or whatever. And then once they're out, they're on to the next thing. If you can catch them at that time, then you have a much higher chance of getting to like the actual meat of the call. Versus if you're trying to, to get a discovery call, it's gonna be so much harder to get a discovery call, cold calling or filling out a lead form, or, you know, sending an email, because if the person has their attention on your site right now, it's, it's like very easy for you to qualify them there and set up the demo, not the discovery. So set up the next step of the process. So it actually saves a lot of time on the front end of that process.
0: Yeah. And it really displays intent on the uh, potential buyer's end. So speaking of the skills that you need to progress and grow your career, whether it's in sales or otherwise, you recently started what, maybe it's a passion project, side business, you can let me know, but um, Career Hacking, uh, which is under that umbrella is your new book, Career Hacking for Millennials, podcast. Uh, what's your mission with all this?
1: And in particular with the book, what void are you hoping to fill? Yeah, it's more of a passion project for me. Um, Last year, last summer, LinkedIn changed their algorithm and started to make the newsfeed more interesting. And I was posting these, you know, thousand word know, thousand character maybe just kind of like little quips about key learnings for my career and I started just posting them didn't think much of it and they were getting like thousands of likes and comments and hundreds of thousands of views so I went back after doing this for like two months and I copy and pasted them all into a google doc and it turns out I had like 10,000 plus words so I was like, "Wow, this is like you know a third of a book because I my first book was like thirty thousand words." Mm-hmm. So I said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish this up, I'm gonna keep adding to it, and then I'll have you know a book of just you know quick hitters." You know, I read this book, Remote, by the founders of Thirty Seven Signals, and it was just like one to two page sections of like the things to do and how to build a remote team. And so yeah. I wanted to set it up like that, like here are the things to do when you're building your career. It'd be like one page on you know, optimizing your LinkedIn profile. And then on the next page, it's, you know, how to not be so short-sighted and what are the things you can do to think long-term. And, you know, so I put this book together and it was more just kind of like my gift to, you know, other millennials who are kind of lost, you know, maybe where I was three, four, five years ago. And, you know, hopefully it'll live on for a long time because it's, it's, I think it's one of those things where, you know, you're you're 20 years old. You're like, oh shit, I got I got to graduate college in a year or two. Then what? And then you get yep. out of college and you get started out and you do like two years somewhere. And you're like, I don't really like this. And then maybe you switch and you you try a different profession or you know a different path. And you know, I just feel like people they 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 like live their life and then they look back and they're like, oh shit, where'd the last three five years yeah. go? And I happen to be very self-reflective. So, you know, I I free write and I journal and I, you know, I I do some things where I want to see how I grew. For example, it's in the book, but on every Monday, I make a list of how I grew the week before. So like things that happened the week before, what I'm stressed about and what I'm grateful for. And Mm -hmm. when I write that list, I see those incremental weekly gains that I'm having as a human and as a, you know, in my career. And that's, that's important. That's empowering because you might like go two years in your career and be like, oh, "What? I didn't really do anything. But if you had those notes from week to week, you'd see how much you were actually learning and it would give you that extra like push. The stress part, you know, when you put things down on paper, you take the power away from them. You take the emotion out of them. And then it's just a task. It's like, you know, it's a, a quick chart. Can I do anything about this? You know, if yes, do it. If no, then you just move on. Am I going to be mad about this in seven days? You know, if no, don't be mad about it now because it's not going to matter in the long term. If yes, is it a month? Is it a year? Is it forever? So, you know, the stress thing just really helps you, you like lay it out and then realize that you you don't really have that much to be stressed about. It's not as bad as you thought it was. And then the gratefulness is, is, you know, I do this every Monday morning. So it helps start your week off on a good note. It's like, Hey, do you have, you know, food and clean water and a roof over your head—that's a good start. It's your your family happy and healthy. You have friends. You know, are uh, you know? Do you have dogs? You know, are you going on a trip sometime soon? Do you have a job? Like these are all things to just make sure you write down each week and you're grateful for, because you never know when what you know what's going to happen. And so it's
0: well, when you're when you're on the hamster wheel, it's easy to lose track of those those things. Yeah. Both in terms of of what's what's really working for you, and also you forget to sort of give yourself those little dopamine hits and and pats on the back along the way. Max, this has been really great. Before we go, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and get their copies of both books we talked about today, Hacking Sales and Career Hacking for Millennials?
1: Yeah. So Career Hacking for Millennials and Hacking Sales are both on Amazon. Um, Getcareerhacking.com. You can get the book. I got an awesome newsletter I do every week, which is like six things that I'm really enjoying right now. So it'll be like a book or a quote or what I'm watching, what I'm listening to, product that I just got, something new I'm trying. So I get this awesome newsletter on getcareerhacking.com and then my book's there. And then I also have a, a podcast where I interview other millennials or people who have had interest in career arcs. So one person I just interviewed was the CEO of Hint Water, mm-hmm. who was you know, uh, in business development for AOL and then just decided one day she was going to start a unsweetened but flavored water company. And now she's doing all sorts of non-toxic products. It's really cool. Wow. Yeah. And then Chris Voss, who's, you know, wrote the book, uh, never split the difference. And he did a mm-hmm. session on how to negotiate when you have no leverage, which is perfect for millennials. So that's awesome. And then, uh, saleshacker.com, obviously the resource for B2B salespeople. If you're in sales, uh, check that out. And the book is hacking sales. It's on Amazon as well.
0: Awesome. Well, Max, thanks again for the time. We'll definitely check out your newsletter and, and, uh, Wishing you the best in the summer to come. Awesome. Thanks, Adam.
1: You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.